All righty, guys, this is Jim Collins, and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Pit 362. We have a special guest on tonight, and I will allow him to introduce himself. But we are live now, and this has uh, been a very anticipated interview. I have gotten a lot of messages and a lot of um, a lot of messages and some phone calls and text messages and everything else wanting to be added to the list so y'all guys can comment. So uh, it looks like we have a very, very popular guest coming on tonight, and I'll let him introduce himself. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on the screen. Um, he'll be coming on in a second. There you go. How you doing, Sean? What's up? All right, listen, guys, I'll let uh, I'll let our special guest introduce himself and his uh, farm name, and then we can go ahead and get this show on the road. Sean Cooper with State Line Game Farm. All righty, man. This has been a highly anticipated interview, Sean. I greatly appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Um, I've been looking forward to it. I know I had sent you out an invite to do this. I, it was probably a few months ago, but Facebook had taken away my uh, um, had taken away my ability to do interviews. So it kind of went on a went on a hiatus. But um, before we get started, I would like to say the disclaimer: um, all the information discussed in this interview is for historical, educational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this information is intended for any legal purposes, and all opinions are respected of the individual. So, Mr. Cooper, let's go ahead and get started, man. How we typically start, uh, we let our guests and our viewers know how you started, how your journey all started. So let's just take it on back all the way to the beginning, whether it's one year old, two years old, or before you started in the womb. You let us know where it all started. <laughs> but it started at a young age, probably two, three-year-old. Okay. Like I said, my father had roosters and my mom's brothers had roosters. Okay. So, uh... I was kind of born into it. Kind of born. So you you consider yourself, I guess, what, second 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 generation? Yeah, I'm second generation. Okay, second generation. So so tell me this, Sean. So when you started out, obviously, you know, you started out at a very young age. You kind of born in the environment, the neighborhood and stuff like that, and family where y'all guys are, had already had game foul. So, you know, how old were you? Um, obviously two years old when you got exposed to the game foul, but, um, how old were you when you really start to partake, you know, in this whole lifestyle? Was it four or five, six years old when your father started having you deal with roosters? Was, was as long as I could go outside by myself, you know, I was involved with them. Okay. With the roosters. I, I, I was always around them. Always around them. Always around them. If I was home 24 seven, I was out there. Out there with those birds, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 with the chickens. Hey, I was fascinated with them. Right, right, right. It, just, like I said, you know, it's in your blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me this, Sean. You know, what age or or what bloodline or what family did y'all guys start off with, as you can remember, growing up? Well, there was a lot of uh, white hackle chickens back in the in the 80s. Okay. Uh, my uncles had white hackles. My dad, uh, some brown red chickens, some docks. Oh. And uh, the Richard Bates Hatch chickens, you know, there's an old bloodline. Okay. Uh, like I told you, a lot of square head roosters, what I call square heads. And, and what you, why do you call them square heads? The big old straight combs, uh, <laughs> white thick heads on them. <laughs> old, old, old slow roosters. Oh, slow roosters, huh? They were oh, slow. They slow. Heavy plumage. Uh, you hit me, I hit you type chickens. So blow for blow. 
Blow for blow. That's what they were. How, how, how was the confirmation on them? Medium station roosters, broad backs. Medium. Okay. Yeah. Wide backs on them. Wide backs on them. A lot of power. A lot of power. I mean, that's what they, you know, bred for back in the old days was power. Mm-hmm. And gameless, mm-hmm. you know, gameless too. Right. Bottom. Uh, but, you know, as time changes, the chickens changed. That's a great point. That's a great, great point. So it kind of brings to light how you have to always be open-minded to make adjustments to keep up with the times, correct? Right. Well, speed chicken started coming around, you know, and, and you know, just like in anything, speed speed kills in basketball, football, mm-hmm. whatever, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and just had to adapt to the, the, the chickens that was revolving and coming in around our area. Right, right, right. So tell me this, Sean, which would you making some adjustments from what your base and started off with, you know, that what did you start to bring in to kind of get to what you wanted to try? Or how many how many things did you have to bring in to find well, what you really liked? You know, at a younger age, all the chickens there was my father's. OK, so uh, he's more old school. And I'm new school. Okay. So my first chickens that I got, that he got, that I liked, that he gave me was in 1990, was the Roundheads. Okay. Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, huh? So where, where did the Roundheads come from? Is this something that he had already bred? No, we went to uh, Ivan Thornsbury in Sydney, Kentucky, and got them from him. And he got them from Hugh Norman, uh, I believe he told us he lived 13 miles down the road from him and when he was a kid. That's how he obtained them was from Hugh Norman. Okay. So that's how he got those roundheads. That's how I got the roundheads. So did your father breed the roundheads for some period of time? He bred them for a long time and he gave them to me. And I've kept them going for 30 years. Well, I mean, you can add it up, 1990, 30 years. Right. That's right. And like I that's said, right. still... They're still tall, <clears throat> heavy plumage, beautiful flesh on them. You just can't get no better. You know, it's it's a lot of hard work and dedication. A lot of hard work and dedication. So tell me this, Sean, when, when your father first gave them to you, is there any difference in how they were when he first gave them to you to the way they are now? Well, they are because I did add some blood to them. Okay. To keep them, uh, what I've called freshening them up. Mm-hmm. I've only done I only I've only done it one time in thirty years. One time That's in thirty kind of, years, right? They was kind of real tight feathered roosters when we got them. Okay. Uh, and I put the plumage in them. I mean, they got big okay. tails, wide tails. A lot of them had nine. A lot of them have uh, set. I see uh, seven tail feathers on one side. I've have had them had nine before. Wow, uh, on one side, huh? On one side, I have, but uh, it's very rare. But I do. I'm actually breeding a cock now that's got one of the biggest tails I've ever seen on a rooster. Wow! Where do you think that, that come from? It's just picking out good good selection of chickens, you know, and breeding them. Now I've even got them coming black spurred now, and I can't tell you where that come from. They're, what? Uh, so uh, I'm getting a lot of black spurred ones. Yeah, they're beautiful roosters. Beautiful, huh? They're beautiful. And how's the station on these now compared to? <clears throat> They're medium to tall. 
They are tall. Yeah. But they long legs. Been, they got long legs, but they've always been, you know, very good, consistent, medium station chickens always. Okay. But okay. I've got a little bit more height on them in the last 15 years than what they've ever had. Mmm. Mmm. And that goes back to selecting good brood pullets and hens. Right. And, uh, you know, your favorite roosters selecting your, the ones you like the best of all of them. Right. So I'm glad that you talked about that because that's like the beginning of the journey there. So let's just talk a little bit about first about, you know, the hen and then we'll talk about the cock. What kind of qualities and how do you pick your hens? I like hens with big tails. OK. Uh, hens with big tails, throw big tailed roosters in my experience. Mm -hmm. You know, my, some people might disagree, but uh, if I raise 15 or 20 pullets, it's sisters. Mm hmm. I like the ones at the top. It's just like the cocktail feathers. It turns over just a little bit. A slight turnover. Okay. okay. I'll pick those pins above every other pin in the pins with them. Those are the ones you had the most success with, right? Those the ones I like and I have the most success with. Because, Like I said, I like pretty roosters, big tails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now tell me something. Tell me this, Sean. How about the body structure on them? You like wide backs, narrow backs, short no, legs, long legs? The uh, the round heads that I raise would be uh, the biggest one would be 412, 414. I mean, that's it. That'd kill him dead. Okay. A lot of 4'6, 4'8, 4'10s. Okay, no so that's a, that's your average be there, like 4'6 four, 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 to 4'10. Right. And uh, But with long legs, you know, they're really tall for their size. Mm hmm. Uh, and they cross sensational with everything you put them with. And so, like a, go ahead, Sean. I'm the sorry. Roosters, they're the easiest rooster in the world to handle. I mean, it makes it very gentle, huh? Yeah, they're very gentle. Yes, they are. So, yeah, with your, with your hens, you like the big tails. You know, how about the backs? You like, like a wide back or kind of? Well, I mean, it just uh, the appearance, you know. I don't go so much as a wide back because they're round okay. heads. You know, okay. round heads. Most round heads that I've ever been experienced with are speed roosters. Okay. Okay. But you know, these here is kind of uh, a different quality. They got the bottom, the uh, cut. I mean, that's right. what really points out to them. The cut, you know. On right. Them. Uh, they just got so many different qualities to them that makes you like them. Right, right, right. And like I said, I've had them 30 years, so it's hard to uh, it's hard not to talk about them. Of course. Well, I mean, if you had them 30 years, you should be talking about them. Because if you ain't talking about them, then nobody else should be talking about them. Now, if the man who created them ain't talking about them, then nobody else should be talking about them. But uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's let's kind of move over to the cock side. How do you what 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 do you look for in a brood cock? Well, just the uh, the good nature, the long, you know, the medium medium to high station, big mm -hmm. tail. I like big mm -hmm. tails. Mm -hmm. I ain't gonna mm -hmm. lie, that's what I like. And uh, mm -hmm. just the gentleness of them, the flesh on them, their right. eyes. You know, I ain't a real big eye person. Red eyes. I mean, I like red eyes, but I've mm -hmm. had some awful good chickens that's had green eyes. I mean, I ain't gonna lie, they've been just as good as the red eye ones. Listen, uh, it's funny that you said that because. Today in a group, the Journey to the Pit 362 group, they had a, a question, a guy questioned and asked, why don't people like roosters with green eyes? So so 
It, it, have you ever heard that before? I've heard it a million times. So, so where do you think that comes from? Or, or why, why do people even ask that question? You know, I never know. I never have figured it out. But uh, a rooster don't win with his eyes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just uh, everybody's got different opinions on them. Uh, I mean, I like red-eyed roosters. Right. But, like I said, the green-eyed ones has been good, too. So, I mean, I if I've got them, you know, I go through with them. Do you have many green eyes that come through? Because you pretty much stand with the same stuff you didn't have, like you said, for 30 years anyway. Right. Yeah, I don't get very many green-eyed roosters. I mean, I get some occasionally. Most times, just one eye. Oh, just one eye, huh? Right. Uh, You know, I don't get a whole bunch of them, but I get some. You get some. Right, right. right. Okay, so that, that gives us an idea kind of what you look for in, in picking your brood, brood stock. Um, and you said, like, just to recap, you know, with your hens, if you, like you said, if you got five, six, seven sisters, you want the one kind of with the biggest tail that curve over a little, just kind of like a cock. Um, and, and with your cocks, you want, you know, medium to high station, really good flesh on them and a very, very gent a gentle attitude, you know, uh, uh, with your brood cocks, correct? Right. Yeah, I don't, it's hard for me to tolerate those mean ones. Well, yeah, I, I tell you what. That is something I even tried to force myself to deal with. And, I, and I'll tell you a quick story. I bought a broodcock, very famous, very successful breeder. And I trust, like, I don't go to nobody's house haggling down on a price because I feel as though you should pay a man what he feels as though his roosters is worth or his birds. Right. I don't care what it is. Every man puts his own value. If you don't think, if you don't want to pay that value, then keep it moving. I don't never think you should ever say, oh, your birds ain't worth that amount. Well, you know, they his birds. So whatever price he say. So you know, I went to a famous breeder um, and not just famous. I would say successful breeder because he produced a product that was was very good. Um, and he gave me a rooster and I went to him because I put the trust in a breeder. If I go to you and purchase a breeding pair from you, I'm going to ask you how to breed them, you yeah. know, because you create them. You know what I mean? I think, you know, initially I came to you for a reason and it's because I, I like what you have. So to me, the easiest way to do it is to ask you, okay, Sean, I want to buy a breeding pair or a trio. What do you suggest? How do you suggest I breed? And I kind of let you pick them. So that's kind of what I did. I went out there, I bought a breeding pair from where I couldn't afford to buy a trio. I could only afford to buy a breeding pair. And he picked it out and guys talked all this trash about it. Oh man, a guy sold you a rooster that he shouldn't have showed you. Sold you that rooster short, that rooster this, that rooster that. Anyway, the rooster turned out to produce some really, really good birds. But, man, I had to take that rooster back because he was so mean, man. He was so mean. I would travel a lot. And my wife was like, listen, I can't feed that rooster. So you're going to have to do something. <laughs> she was like, you had to do something with him. But I didn't want to get rid of him because the birds he was producing was so good. So eventually I had to take the rooster back because right. my wife couldn't deal with him. And she would, when she would try to put the food in a cup, he would knock the cup off the cage and she would have to go get the broom and put the broom in it, try to scrape the cup, you know, to the edge so she can grab. It was just too much. It was too much. So anyway, I took the rooster back and the guy was like, what's the problem? He's like, man, the rooster's too mean. He's like, man, I told you this kind of roosters, they are mean, but they will produce some really good birds for you. But, man, to be honest, man, I, I don't have the patience, man. Them really mean roosters, I, even if they superstars, I had to pass on them. 
Right. I just have to pass through, man, because they they too much of a ha- one hit me in my finger, and I thought he had broke my finger. <laughs> he had hit me so. <laughs> So I was like, you know what, man, I can, it's some, it's a lot of good roosters out there that's gentle, you know, that's because they mean and good. You can get some that's gentle and good. So I agree with you on that. I don't have the patience for those. Uh, I just don't have the patience for those really mean roosters, man. Right. You know, they'll flare up on you once in a while, especially when they, they keep some time, they feel the real good and you know, they pumped up, they might, you know, get at you. But man, this one was like, he was trying to knock your hand off, man. When you went in there to feed him, I'm like, nah, it's too much, man. Just too much for me. So you the same way, huh? You don't want to deal with that that well, aggressiveness. Anytime you got game foul, you know you're gonna to have to deal with it at some point. That's right. Uh, That's right. That's right. You can't totally just, avoid it. Right. It's just what you can tolerate. That's right. That's what it always comes down to. It's just kind of what you can tolerate. Yeah. So tell me this, Sean. Since since we, now we're talking about brood stock, how you kind of select your brood hens, your brood cocks. Do you do natural hatch or incubators? You know, what do you use now? And have you always used it? Well, I'll do both. I most time keep about 20 yard hens on the yard. Okay. Which I've accumulated a lot more than that this past year. I've been work I've worked so much I ain't got to, to kill many of them, but uh mm-hmm. I most time keep about 20. Okay. And I'll I'll steal their eggs and set my good eggs under them. I got you. And then I've got, you know, I've got incubators. I, I ain't a big fan of, if I really want to get some off early, you know, January, February, I have to go with incubators. Right. Okay. But kind of speed that process up. Most of my chickens are hatched off March, April, May. Okay. So you kind of do natural hatch with the system that you kind of have, but you do use incubators to kind of get a little jump start on the season. Right. And I've actually got a, what I call two sister farms. I got a, two buddies that raises roosters for me. <clears throat> and they're all natural hatched. They're all natural hatch, huh? Right. Now, now tell me this, Sean, since you do both, do you see a difference in natural hatch roosters versus, or just chickens in general, even with the hens? Do you see a difference in, say, health, you know, uh, resistance to disease or durability? Do you see a difference in the ones in the incubator, uh, in the natural hatch, your experience, per your experience? And not really, <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, the natural hatch is a lot easier to work with because a lot less work. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be the mother of them incubator hatch chickens. That's right. That is exactly right. That, and it's so, a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It is. And I tell you yep, what I really, a lot, a lot of times I'll set my incubator, a tray. Mm-hmm. I say I set it on January 1st. And I'll try to get me a hen that's set in January the 1st. Or I'll wait to one set and then I'll set me a whole tray where I can give her 70 or 80 diddles. Okay. Uh, and I'll let her mother them diddles. You know, I don't have to do as much my part. She'll do most of the work right. for me. Right. I raise a lot of roosters like that. Right. But it's hard to get a hen to take that many diddles. But when you do get one, you never forget her. Because she's right. a dame. She's a That's good right. One. That's right. That's right. So you try to, those are golden hens right there because they can take a lot of work off of your shoulders and uh, uh, they can take a lot of work off your shoulders, period. I'm so my, so you right. can't. Hmm? My experience with those hens, it's like that. The hens that you can reach your hand up under, they don't peck you. Right. That's gentle. Those are the hens that most time would take the diddles. Got you. Got you. So though that's kind of what you look for. So 
tell me this. Is there any particular, can you understand like how those hens, do you breed those hens? You know, you know, is the, I don't breed them. You know, I go through and like I said, I might set 20 yard hens. Right. And I can most tell by their uh, aggressive nature if they're going to peck me, if I stick my hands under them or whatever, rob the eggs. Right. And, uh, I'll use them like that. And if I do put them in there, I will watch them. I'll put them in there on a Saturday or Sunday where I'm at home. Right. And I'll watch them theoretically all day to make sure they ain't beating up on the babies or nothing. That's right. <laughs> they take them. And they take them. So that takes a big load off your back, don't it? <laughs> right. So it, that's what I do. I mean, eight out of ten times, that's what I'm doing. I'm giving 70, 80, 90 chicks to one hen. Wow. Yeah. And when they get up feathers on them, you know, five, six weeks old, I'll move them out to a water okay. hen where they can run in and out. Okay. So that's the next thing I want to talk about. So you said five or six weeks old, you move them. I move them, and uh, I, you know if the weather's permitting, because we got crappy right. weather. But uh, if the weather's permitting, I'll move them out where they won't get drowned or froze mm -hmm. out. But you know, mm -hmm. eighty or ninety hills, it's impossible for him to cover them. That's right. But you know they gather all around her, and they and they stay warm if the weather's right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I move them outside and let them let the hens raise them. And uh, when they get big enough up, you know up big enough, I'll just turn her out with them. It's kind of weird to see a hen come to the yard 60, 70, 80, 90 chicks tagging behind her. <laughs> wow. You're right. I ain't never seen it. I have never seen it. It's unreal. I mean, it's you just have to see it. Uh, but that's Wow. So if I walk up to your yard and I see a hen walking with 80, I'm like, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> hey. Like, I ain't never seen nothing like that. You come here in April, March and April, you will see a bunch of them like that. <laughs> so that's but that's actually good though so you have constructed it you have designed a system that works for you and i think that's extremely important because again you know we haven't had anybody on who kind of used that same identical system um but i'm pretty sure somebody's watching will take that in consideration and probably start to try to do that same identical thing so let's just recap that so they understand so you kind of find you know you use part incubator part natural hatch You'll try to get that incubator started, but if you can find a hen around January that's setting, you'll try to throw that first tray up under her, her correct? Right. I'll set a batch with her, and I'll set a batch oh. in the tray. Got you. Okay, set a and batch with her and a batch on the tray. I got you. I'll, I got you. So you, you'll kind of have a start of two batches starting right. out the season. And I'll set, I'll work them right up under. Okay. And. And like you say, you'll keep them, you'll you'll keep the biddies with her for about five weeks, permitting weather permitting. Right. You know, I keep them on wire, uh, diddle wire pins off the floor for about five okay. or six weeks, and then okay. I'll move them. I'll, I'll transfer them out if the weather's permitting. Mm hmm. And uh, later, where they can run in and out with her. Got you. I got you. Okay, so you know, at the five week mark, now weather's permitting. The biddies is out. The chicks are starting to run around. She's out there doing them. You know, do you vaccinate? Do you not vaccinate? When do you start worming? You know, let's talk about the, you know, from that five-week point, what do you do then? You know, Jim, I've never vaccinated for nothing. Okay. Uh, you know, if you start vaccinating, you got to do it every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never vaccinated for nothing, and I've, you know, I've always had a healthy flock of, chi uh, of chickens. But, uh. Okay. You know, just like I said, hard work, and dedication is what 
what it t- takes to raise them. Right, right, uh, right. So, so tell me this, Sean. What do you or when do you start putting the chicks on their own feed? Well, about about eight weeks. I run starter and grower through them. Uh, Perina is what I feed. Perina starter and grower. Okay. From, okay. From, track, from tractor supply. Okay. Uh, about eight weeks. Most time I'll switch. I I don't just wean them off of it right then. Uh, I'll mix a five grain about 50 50 mm-hmm. and then I'll kind of wean them, wean them off of it. Okay. Uh, so you don't do cold off. Turkey. You kind of walk it out of them. Right. I, I just don't quit it. Cold Turkey on a medicated feed. I just, uh, like I said, I work my way out of about half and half on a start and I work it plumb out where that, you know, I ain't feeding no medicated feed. Okay. So you do feed medicated feed, huh? I, I feed medicated feed. Yeah. Okay, tell me this. Uh, is it a reason why you feed medicated feed? Just for the coccidiosis. Got you. Okay. And I asked that question because I know somebody's going to ask that question. You know, right. because I know everybody don't feed. If you hatch them off early and in my area, January and February, you don't have to feed medicated feed. But, you know, as the temperature gets hot, the viruses get active. Mm-hmm. And you have to feed medicated feed. Got you. Got you. Okay, so you're doing about eight weeks. You're starting to wean them off, getting them off that that medicated feed, taking them to. So tell me this. Um, as they're growing, like what is your yard feed, you know, far as protein-wise, or you do you use pre-mix or you self-mix? I, I use a pre-mix. The feed store mixes my feed for me. It's a 16%. Okay. That's what I feed. Okay. Yeah, year round. Have you had okay, so you feed 16% year round. Right. Okay, so that's everybody on the yard gets that same feed. Hands, roosters, and all. Okay, I got you. Okay, all right. So, so as we continue on walking through, um, do you use tie cords, pins? You know, walk us through your setup on your yard and why you use what you use. Well, I got barrel pins for my stags because it makes okay. it so much easier for me to uh, get them out, warm them. And, okay. Uh, you know, where I work for a living, I'm limited on time of evens. And I okay. can take care, I can take care of a hundred barrel pins in 15, 20 minutes. Got you. Feeding in water. You know what I mean? Everything's fed right. in cups. I don't feed none of the uh, end of barrels, I feed them in cups. Uh, oh, you- my barrel pins are feeding cups. And I got about a hundred four befores. What I do, I work them from the barrels to the four befores, and then from the four befores to the strength field. Okay. It's in like a constant rotation. So you got three different, pretty much three different setups on the same, on the same yard. Four by fours, barrels and strings, right? Right. I'm working from stags from six to 12 months old to bull stags. Six to 12 months old in the barrels. 12 months, 20 months old, four by fours. And then from 20 months old to two and a half, two, two and a half year old strings. Got you. So that's that's very good information. So that's so it's a constant rotation. So it's basically like staging areas. This right. stage one, stage two, stage three. That's what I got them in staging areas. So tell me something. Do you have it set up like that because that kind of works best for you, or do you see that setup right there is something that kind of works for you and a rooster? Like you've been getting very good results from that setup. Well, the the setups gave me great results over the years, and. Uh, you know, they're so healthy when they're eating out of bows. Okay. They don't get nothing from the ground or nothing. You know what I mean? That's right. And uh, 
And you can cull them when they're in them barrels. If they ain't healthy in them barrels, eating out of them bows, then they ain't no good, period. The, ch- the roosters, right. you know. Right, right. Because they got to be able to stand some type of bacteria, some type of dirt. They, you know, if they can't stay healthy in that situation, it's like, okay, your immune system must be really weak because, right. you know, you're not going inside the house. So, And I just don't have barrels set up. It can't rain in my barrels. I got a building, a shed built over them. They're all under metal. <clears throat> Oh, so tell me this. So you got them in the barrels, right? And you got it. You got them under under shed, like under canopy canopies. Wow. Gotcha. So so and you said you do. Six to 12 months in the four by fours, right? Then from from in the barrels. Okay, barrels. So barrels are first place that they go then they That's go from perfect. there to the four by fours and then from the four by fours they go to the string wall right got you okay what you got it what do you have in your barrels as far as uh i most time put sand or shavings in them sand or shavings okay yep. and, and and is there any reason why you would use one or the other any particular reason or is just it's whatever's not, available it's just whatever's available at the time you know uh, I've got access to the sand and the, and the shavings, so uh, okay. You know, anybody knows if you got them in the barrels, you're gonna have to put litter in them all the time because they won't stay about six, eight weeks, and it's all kicked out. Got you, got you, got you. So it's kind of constant rotation in that. Also, you're getting right. in there. You, you, okay. You're refilling a bed and stuff. All right. So you got your system like that. Tell me this: uh, What age do you start worming them out? I worm my chickens, my my babies, probably about two months old. About two months old. Any yeah. particular wormer that you use that you have had success with? Last four or five years, I've used that hydro uh, wormer. I, it's from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I've been using, but for years I used Wyzine thirty four. You know that was the, you haven't right. That's what I had available at the time. That's what I always used. Always used. And it done you right. It done me right, but you know it won't get rid of all the worms, but it get rid of the tapeworms. Oh, and the tapeworms right there is the ones that that's it tough on the bird is them tapeworms. Right. So uh, and then when they get old enough, five six months old, you know you can use lye. I use a lot of lye when I worm. You do, huh? I use a lot of lye. Wow. Yeah. So what age are you starting with the lye? Well, you can't give them live very young as they lock their crawls up and kill them. I've right. Learned, I, hey, listen, I learned that firsthand one time. About 200 of them out there are dead. What? Sure did. I tried it one time many years ago, and uh, they was about quail size and banny, banny size, and they was laying everywhere. Crawls locked up on them. Get out of here. Yeah. Nobody told <laughs> <laughs> nobody, no, Nobody told you to not give it to them at that age? No, learning experience. Learning experience. Well, now that you said that, and you said, so you have had really good success with the lie, huh? I worm with lie. All, uh, you know, I rotate my wormer, but I use lie all the time. All the time, huh? All the time. So listen, let us know the mix that you use. I put two tablespoons for a five-gallon bucket. Soak it all night with oats. Wow, two tablespoons, two tablespoons five-gallon bucket with oats. Right. So how much oats would you put in a five-gallon bucket? I put it up probably uh, four-and-a-half gallon. Then you About know four and a half. It'll soak it up, so you'll have to keep adding water to it all night and stir it up. Right, 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 right. So two tablespoons. 
and I mix it with warm water. With warm water. Right. Because if you put the lye in cold water, it just clump up on you. Right, right. So tell me this. So so how much of that do you feed them out? Or you just, you know, how much how much do you feed them? Well, I hold your feed the day before. And, right. Uh, I'll give them about two tablespoons of that feed the next day. Okay. So so they going to be empty. They, when they get that, they're going to be pretty much empty when they get in that wormer. Right. And that wormer has pretty much, I mean, that, that lie pretty much, I have never used it before. That's what I'm asking. But I have seen a lot of guys use it with success. So it pretty much kills everything. Right. It does. It's a it's a very good, it's an old-time wormer remedy. Old-time wormer remedy. Yeah. Wow. That lie. So that's kind of what you did. So, so, you know, now we got to the worm and you said we talked about your feet. Can you give us a little bit more detail about, we know it's 16%. But kind of what's in your feet, but what I makes feed, up your feet? I feed corn, oats, and pellets. Corn, oats, and pellets, huh? Yeah, that's what I feed. Wow, all year long, 16%. All, all year long. That's amazing. So tell us now also, too, what is the weather conditions like? You know, not on extreming, because I know sometimes y'all guys get a whole bunch of rain, but that's not normal every single year. But... What type of weather conditions are is typical kind of in the area that you're in? You never know what you're going to get here at the bottom of the mountains. That's so what long. it is, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like that, well, that makes it more challenging. Last night at 16 degrees. See? <laughs> and what is it now? Like 50 or well, something like that? 40 something? or? Now it got up about 40 today. Right. So from 16 degrees to 40. Right. Yep. Kind of like, yeah, that that's that's but that's very challenging too. Um, tell me this. You know, I believe, and I could be wrong, but a lot of times them harsh weathers like that, they make the birds pretty strong if they can survive through it, huh? It does. It gets them mentally, uh, physically. I mean, the climate control, you know, it changes so much. Right. Uh, it, and I'm telling you straight out, if, if we got bad weather, like we ain't had real bad weather this year, but last year. It will cull the sick ones out. It will. The weather do it for you, huh? The weather will do it for you. You go out there on a, on a cold day and you can tell the difference in the ones that's not healthy. Yeah, that's right. You can kind of, you got that right. The, it's the same thing with humans too now. That's right. <laughs> See, some, some humans, when they get real cold, their body just start falling apart. They start coming with all kinds of elements or just one cold. Way. If same I way. Look, if I if I want to go look and see if I got healthy chickens before I go to work in the mornings, when it's 10, 12, 14 degrees, I walk to the field before I go to work. And that right there going to tell you what what's uh what's potentially uh on the chopping block, huh? Well, I can tell, you know, which one's the healthiest roosters I got, you know. Right. And kind of know where to go from there if I'm going to use them or not. Right. Right. Wow. That is something. So we pretty much covered a lot. You know, we covered your, your, your brew pins. Um, tell me this. Do you like single mate or, you know, group mate? You know, what, what is your opinion or what is your what is your thoughts on that? Well, I'll do it all. I mean, I'll single mate some some hens that's, uh, that I like better than others. And, mm -hmm. and, a lot of, and a lot of pens, I'll put three to four sisters. Four okay. Sisters to okay. Their, to their uncle. So you'll do hens to their nest, so nieces to uncles, right? 
nieces to uncles, and uh, aunts to nephews. Okay. Now, do you do anything other than that? I breed half-brother and half-sister a lot. I have had success with that, half-brother and half-sister. Half-brother and half-sister. Tell me this. Um, what you maintain in a line for 30 years, that's basically what you've done for 30 years, huh? Right. And I've bred, I've bred a lot of great-grandfathers to great-granddaughters. I mean, I go way down. I mean, it's just whatever fits in anybody's system. That's what's worked for me. Uh, is a lot of different breedings and experimenting. Mm -hmm. But I keep my genetics stronger breeding three and four different directions. Mm -hmm. But kind of still in the same family, right? Right. The same family. They're all kin. Right. Right. I, I can keep my plumage, my flesh, uh, my health by spreading the family out, but still be able to breed it together. That's right. That's right. So tell me this, Sean. So do you feel as though from years of experience, do you feel as though some lines can withstand more inbreeding than others? Or well, if you ain't got good ones, when you inbreed them, it'll show up. Got you. So you do kind of recommend that, huh? If you want to test them, you can. I mean, that's going to be the test, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, I've bred them before and not had no success at all out of certain chickens, like half-brother, half-sister, uncles and nieces. They right. actually go downhill instead of uphill. Wow. With some lines, huh? With, with certain lines, you know, that you've obtained from somebody else. They're done bred out, right. in other words. Nobody right. got to keep them. Right, right. I have had that same situation, and I have seen the same thing. Inbred on one time, and the birds just was like trash. Like, you didn't even know if they was like this. Well, like, where did those things come from? You know, you like, right. they have no resemblance to nothing. Like, where did they come from? And you're exactly right. That's like a big indicator of get it out the yard, basically, because you, it's, right. so, it's so unpredictable. It's so unpredictable. And I, I, I personally believe every line should be able to withstand some inbreeding. If they can't withstand right. no inbreeding at all, I mean, I just think it's a problem, you know. And, and and again, that's a hot topic. You know, a lot of people don't, you know, believe it and stuff like that. And a lot of people believe in the scattered bread, just breeding best to the best to the best to the best. And you know, sometimes depending on which what sports you in, that don't always work because to me, there's no predictability. You know, if you constantly just breeding, you know, that's just my opinion, though. I mean, I've tried the best of the best, numerous. I mean, numerous right. times. You know, some some roosters is ace roosters won't throw nothing worth a plug nickel. Right. You breed his his full brother that's an average rooster, and he throws better than average. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just finding the right nick and luck. I mean, it's just a lot of uh, trial and error. Right, and there's a lot of experimentation and selective breeding right. and stuff like that also, too, huh? Right, it is. And uh, it's just, like I said, when you get a good family, you can inbreed them. But if you don't That's get right. one, I, I know from experience. I mean, I've had my father's had them before. He had a treat, you know, certain trios that would throw better than average roosters all the time. You take the offspring and try to duplicate them and got nothing. Could never get nothing. nothing. Never get nothing, huh? Never. I mean, just <laughs> rock, rock bottom, rock bottom roosters. There was nothing. There was nothing there to be made. They's done bred out. 
That's what it is. The same thing happened to me. And I tell you, it was with some expensive roosters, too. The roosters was good, but, man, I tried to breed them back to his mama, and it was just straight trash. Tried to breed half and half, and it was just more trash. I'm just like, why is these roosters so bad? I mean, it's just, like, horrible. They was done bred out. Whoever you got them from, he could keep getting them, but he made sure right. you could keep, he made sure you could right. keep getting them. <laughs> that's hey, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly right. He kept a revolving door customer, huh? Because I'm that's just like, man, these things are trash. I mean, they was right. literally trash. I mean, as far as even the health, the durability, the bone structure, they came out weak. It was just, it was just bad. But again, right. I have done, I have had success with half brothers and half sisters. Um, I like to do uh, fathers to daughters, uh, at least to to concentrate the blood, and then do half brothers and half sisters from that. But um, I guess, it, and my point was, I just kind of wanted your opinion on: Do certain bloodlines can they take inbreeding versus others? And you kind of feel the same way. Some of them just can't. Just can't. There's no way they're done bred out. They done been bred out. Yeah. So, so tell me this. Sean, um, and, and not to kind of recap, but you said you had a couple other different lines. You had the one line that you've been dealing with for 30 years, and you had another line that was like 12 or 14 years. What other line is that that you like or that you have? I've got some flare eyes that my daddy gave me in 2000. Y'all had them Okay. Years. Okay. He got, he got them from the late Scott Gay. He had them since 1959. Wow. Uh, I've still got those chickens today, and – uh. They're as good as any chickens I've ever owned, but they're real hard to tolerate because they're uh, high-strung. They so are, I, huh? They're real high-strung, wild-nature chickens, but they'll grow on you because, you know, they, they do other things we were supposed to. Right, right, right. So tell me something. Do you ever cross them into your 30-year-old line, or is just something you hey. keep all three separate? I've crossed them and everything. I mean, they do good on the round They do good, huh? The hatch, the uh, other types of grays. Right. Just, they're a great crossing family. I've, that's why I've kept them for 20 years. They're ugly. Right. they ugly, huh? Why they ugly? Why you say they ugly? <laughs> you, know what a po you know what a Polish chicken is? No. It's got the, the feathers that comes out top of his head. Oh, yeah, out. yeah. Got it all down yeah. like this. Hey, that's what they look like, except the grays. What? I got to go. I got You got to send me a picture of those things. <laughs> I got to see hey, one. They're uh, they're 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 just a weird chicken. They're, they're so flighty, too. The hens are flighty. So you're used right. to me being here, but if I brought you here, when we walk by them, we'd be like quail trying to fly out of the pen. What? Yeah, man, they were they're flighty. Yep. That is so fun. You gotta send me a picture of those, dude. That's so <laughs> funny. So tell me this, Sean. I know when we talked earlier, you know, I and I kind of wanted you to give us a little, you know, talk about a little bit of the history also. Cause I know, you know, everybody like to hear the systematic parts and stuff like that too. But I think it's also important to talk about a little bit of history. Um, because there's a lot of guys out there that have birds and they don't know where they came from. I'm not saying they don't know directly where they came from, but I'm right. saying the history of the line that they have. So, so you would, we were talking earlier and, and, and tell me a little bit about those old school lines that you, we were talking about earlier that you said is way, way, way back. Those square heads. 
the old square heads. But yeah. you was telling they, me about a lot. Yeah, that that where the square heads I think come from. Right, the uh, the Loman white hackles. Okay. The North Britons. Okay. The uh, Kearneys. So where did those where did those lines come from? They're all white hackle chickens. Every one of those all, is white hackles. All of them are white hackles. So tell me this. What birds today you think came from those lines right there? Lord, Jim, I, I don't know how I could possibly. I, I don't know if I could even say, you know, it's. I don't know anybody in my area that's that's ever kept them and kept breeding them. So, I mean, I couldn't tell you. Albany's is probably carrying a lot of white hackle blood in them. The Albany's? The Albany's. Yeah. So, so tell. So tell me this. Tell us, tell us some of the characteristics that those old school birds had. Well, it just broad backs, square heads, <laughs> medium <laughs> power cocks. Power cocks, huh? Power. They stand blow for blow, huh? Blow for blow. All day long. They'd stay there. All day long. And I'm yes, they was just uh old school stuff. Right. <clears throat> yep. So that's very interesting too, man, because you know, you have been around and a lot of other guys have been around, but a lot of times it's, you know, just because you've been in the game 30, 40 years don't mean you've seen the same thing that the next person had. But it's really good to see how you have seen the birds evolve, like you say, needing different things to kind of keep up with the times. So right. it's kind of like you have to keep searching. You know, you have to keep your eyes open. Understand what your competition is and understanding what you need to adjust to keep up with the competition, huh? Right. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's like everything else. You've got to keep uh, elevating your game to stay with them. If you can't right. beat them, you got to join them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you got so, that right. you got to stay with them. But, uh, and you know, everybody needs to test different fowls to see what fits their, their circumstances and what they can feed right. out and train. Uh, right, because all chickens ain't for certain people. <clears throat> That's right. That's like the mean ones. The mean ones ain't really for me, and the mean ones ain't really for you either. Some guys, the guy I got them from, he had a whole yard full of mean ones. I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do it. <laughs> it's too, too yep. much, man. Whenever whenever rooster hit me in my finger, dude, I'm telling you, he hit me so hard. I it's like he broke my finger. I'm like this rooster just broke my finger. <laughs> But he hit so it was amazing that that little bird hit that hard, man. But they again, will. like you said, it will. They will. And I know, you know, when you work on them and they feel good, you know, they're going to have that spunk to them. You know, you're right. not always going to be to just stick your hand down there and grab them. It, it, you know, it doesn't always happen. And then when they hit you, don't mean they're a completely bad rooster. It's just sometime, you know, that's what they are. They, you can't forget <laughs> they are still a cock. They're still a cock. They got a lot of testosterone in them. Um, doesn't mean when they do nail you that they're a bad rooster. You just don't want the ones just trying to tear the fence, you know, the, the, the cage down, man, to get to you. Right. Yeah. So, so, so Sean, tell me this, you know, um, and, and I know we can't really compare, but coming up in your days when you were younger, man, how do you think the birds are today? Do you think they're healthier, stronger, more durable? You know, do they live longer? What is your opinion as far as how it was when you were growing up? <clears throat> well, they're probably all of the above you just said because uh, mm -hmm. back in the day, 
A lot of people didn't have the knowledge that they do have that they have today on the roosters. Right. right. And the roosters are are better than what they was in the eighties and nineties. They are, I, huh? In your opinion. They're better in my opinion. Uh but uh and you have you know, and nowadays people's got more of a selection than what they did back then too. Got you. So uh when you got more of a selection you can get better roosters. Right. 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 So so so, so tell me this, Sean. So we talked about this a little earlier too. You know, it, it, we talked about the 362. And you know, I was explaining to you, you know, how I came up with the concept of the 362. We know in this in our sport, in our culture, you know, everybody with chickens is not a rooster man. You know, I tell people that just because you got chickens yeah. don't make him a rooster man. You know what I mean? Um, but in your personal opinion, from your thoughts, how important is that 362? Hey, if you ain't got health, you ain't got nothing. That's right. It's Health is the number one thing. Health is wealth, basically. Health is the number one thing, that's for sure. Number one's health. You got to have the foul, too. I mean, you can't leave them out. If you ain't got the foul, right. you, you ain't got nothing to begin with. So uh, <clears throat> you got to find the foul that best suits you and for your situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you might have to go through three or four families to get what you're looking for and right. watch suits. But right. the health, if you ain't got the health, you can't expect them to do nothing else. Got you. Got you. So, and, and, and that's again, like I say with the 362, that's really what it was all about. You know, some guys kind of rebelled against the concept of the idea, but the only thing I was just trying to tell them was, is I think, you know, it's also time for us to start highlighting What's the backbone of this whole culture? You know, the backbone of the whole culture is not, not decided in three days. The backbone of the whole culture is everything that we talked about tonight. Your brood pens, how you do your biddies, how you take care of them, how you worm them, how you select them. You know, all of that, you know, how you rotate them out from, you know, from barrels to pens to, and having a reason for each of those stages. All of those decisions are decided in the 362. They're not decided in the last three. Um and everybody that comes on that are successful in their own right have all did things different, you know, have right. all did things different. And, and I think that's what's extremely important because I'm pretty sure back in the 80s, like you say, the lack of information and the lack of guys wanting to freely give information, it was a right. lot more restrictive back then than it was today, huh? I mean, that's the guys, the same old guys dominated Week in, week out. I mean, they same guys. <laughs> right, right, right. If, if somebody else, ordinary got in, it's like to hit the lottery. Because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have the knowledge, was it? Yeah, unexpected. Unexpected. I was going to them talker schools, and and you know, in the seventies and eighties and nineties, and right. uh, of course, you don't go to them no more because everybody's got so much knowledge they spread it out. Right. And friendship gets you knowledge. Right. Uh, exactly. On the chicken. So, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, it's just a lot different now than what it used to be when I, right, in the 80s and 90s. Right. And, and, and basically now, you know, I think it's a lot easier uh, to gain that access to knowledge, you know, than it was way back in the day. So, you see a lot of guys today that probably wouldn't be able to survive in the 80s and 90s back right. then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right, buddy. 
Yep, they wouldn't tell you nothing. Wouldn't tell you nothing. That's exactly right, man. I'm telling you, that's exactly right. And I tell, you know, the, the, the times, like you said, the chickens today are better than they were back in the 80s. And I think the rooster men today are a lot more rooster men today are a lot more knowledgeable than they were back in the 80s. You know, it, well, it was a. There's more rooster men, too, obviously. Right. You know? Exactly. So exactly. But a larger percentage, put it that way. That's what I should have said. A larger percentage of rooster men are more knowledgeable today than they were back in the day, back right. in the 80s. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and and even in today's time with things being as accessible as possible, it's still tough because everybody got access kind of to the same information. It all comes down to who put the right combination together, huh? That's right. Got to pick out the right team. That's right. The right team. <laughs> the right team. So, so now, you know, what you saying that, you know, say a guy wanting to get involved in it, in the, um, you know, or has actually been involved in a chicken sport and uh, want to go out and acquire some brood stock, you know, what type of stuff should they be looking for as far as even not just with the birds, but even with the breeder, you know, is facilities, health, or, you know, what kind of things would you, if you had to go out tomorrow, and start looking. You had to start all over. What would you be looking for? Well, you know, I wouldn't look for uh, facilities because a lot of people don't have good facilities, but they still got good roosters and, ch you know, chickens. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, they obviously probably couldn't afford good facilities, but they got good chickens. Right, uh, right. Health, you know, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go for health. <clears throat> uh, and I like to know that I'm getting a win in lines mm -hmm. if I'm going to to get new chickens right. <clears throat> and you know if you're gonna ask around about so-and-so how they've done back in the when you was when it was legal right. <clears throat> to get the, the winning lines and uh and go from there and go pick them out <clears throat> i mean i like to go pick them out myself right right you know i can call jim and Collins, tell him send me a trio of his right. best when i get them i might not like them because right you know, I didn't get to see them firsthand. I'd rather pick them out myself. <clears throat> Got you. Got you. That, that's kind of what I learned, not too. Saying, not saying that Jim Collins wouldn't send me no good chickens. Right. But it's like you going to Walmart, you won't pick out your tennis shoes. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I learned that. I mean, again, right. the, the chickens that, that I, the one I, like I said, I had to take back because he was too mean. When I went back the next time, he let me pick which one I wanted. And, right. and the one that I picked, was nothing like the one that he sent me, you know, and it still produced good birds for me, but right. the one that I picked wasn't like the one that he sent me. So again, they were both good birds. We just had two different tastes. You know, right. he sent me what he thought was, 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 was what he liked. But when I went to his house and I picked out what I wanted, it didn't look, I ain't going to say it was way off, but it wasn't the same rooster as the one that he sent me. Right. But plus, you know, when you get those chickens, you can do some modifications to them on breeding them. If they're good right. chickens, if you can breed them, Line breed them, um, right. you know, any way you want to, and, and see if you can fit them, get them to fit your system or what you like. That's right. <clears throat> Even if you got to put a little different breed into them, mm -hmm. maybe to calm, maybe to calm them down, or put more power into them, or speed right. them up. You know. So, so tell me this, Sean. I got a question. Do you? When you picking a broodcock, you told her about the station, you know, how you kind of like them and all that. Tell me this. Would you have you ever bred a short rooster and he produced something that wasn't short? I have, 
but I've not had real good success with it. It seems like if I breed to a short rooster, I get short roosters. Yep. Yep. Oh, yep, yep, yep. yep. Oh, so from my experience, that short rooster is carrying a short rooster gene. Mm-hmm. And he throws yep. it. And if you breed yep. off his daughters, guess what? The daughters take after their daddy. Yep. You keep getting that's it right. Down, keep getting round down the line. Yep. That's a, and I asked you that because that's a conversation that I had. And I was just saying, based on my experience, I have done it with a short rooster. And I'm telling you, man, I always say, man, to be honest, if you want to brew cock, start off with something that you like. Don't right. start off with something that you don't like, hoping you're going to create what you like. Start right. off with something that you like out the gate, you know, and that's what it, just kind of what I learned. Because when I started off with a rooster that I really didn't like, I liked his line. But I really didn't like his confirmation on him and stuff like that. I mean, his what he produced, it always to me was like, he's good, but ain't really, I don't really like him. But he's because we all have roosters that's good, but we still might not like him. Like, that's a good rooster, but I really didn't like him. It's like me, you know, I've got like 10 breeds. I mean, I've got all kinds of breeds of chickens, but I like more certain ones better than others. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, everybody's got their favorites on their yard. <clears throat> right. That's exactly right. And I think everybody's, every bird on his yard, it should serve some type of purpose. Or every, I say every line on the yard should serve a purpose. That's the reason I got like 10 lines because <clears throat> for certain things I use certain chickens for. Okay. Uh, You know, some years I might breed heavier. I might breed more roundheads than, than grays. Or the next mm. year I might. I might breed more hatches than roundheads or more Kelsos than radios or gotcha. <clears throat> gotcha. And all of those lines got characteristics. You all know what purpose right. that they serve, basically. You know, if, I'm, if I'm wanting to make a three way cross, I need three breeds of chickens. That's right. You know, for certain things, you know, I breed three way crosses, hatch Kelso and Gray, or right. hatch roundhead and gray, or hatch Kelso and Roundhead or or hatch claret and roundhead. Right. Uh, and you know you got to have them chickens to be able to do that. And, and, and Sean, that since you have said that, tell us how you do your three-way crosses. Like if you set your brood pin up for a three-way cross, what would it look like? Just for an example. Well, I mean, I might put a, right, a roundhead cock over hatch gray hens. Okay, got you. Or I might put a claret cock over roundhead gray hens. Got you. Okay, so so the hens are basically so you pretty much take like a pure cock and put him over crossed hens. Right. Got you. Okay. Okay. Because I, I know that that's very comp. I mean, it's very I hear a lot about the three-way crosses, and sometimes I think people do them and they don't really know what they're doing. They just go ahead and do it. I just kind of wanted your opinion if you did right. the pure cock and crossed hens or pure hens with a cross cock. So you kind of use a pure cock and a crossed hens. Right. You know, I do a lot of breeding. I breed three quarters, seven eighths, fifteen sixteenths. Okay. Uh, I mean, I breed so many ways. My book in there, you can't get another toe mark in it. <laughs> I used to, <laughs> I used to, because, I mean, it's just weird. You got so many chickens and you uh, try to maintain so many of them to keep them good. Right. Right. And, and like I said, some years I might breed a lot more of the roundheads and radios and I might breed the hatches and the Kelsos or the grays, you know, just depends. Mm -hmm. If I get down on brood chickens, you know, 
I try to keep three or four broodcocks of each type. You do? And, okay. Right. And you know what that runs into, a, bo- a bunch of pins. Right. And uh, right. a lot more maintenance. A lot more maintenance. You got that right. So uh, it's not an easy job. Roosters ain't for everybody. You got to right. love got to have it in your blood. Mm-hmm. And just because you got ch- chickens don't mean you're a cocker. I That's keep telling right. people that. And just because he got chickens don't mean he's a cocker. Now, you got to be careful who you listen to because people say, oh, he got about 100 over there. That don't mean nothing. Don't it don't mean, mean nothing. nothing. I'm telling you. You know, and again, I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to be sarcastic about it, but I just seen it. It don't mean right. nothing. And another thing, a rule of thumb, which I've always, it's always went by me, uh, you know, it's hard to be both, a feeder and a breeder. Right. It's uh, either you're good at one or the other most time. If you're good at both of them, you're an ace in a hole. Right. Because there ain't many. There ain't many. I'm just telling you. It's just hard hey. to find. They are out there, though. I ain't going to lie. They're out there. I know some. Right. Right. But, it, you know, it takes a lot more time to be both of that, them. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. That's of what I was going to say. Yeah. it's And you know what? And it ain't even, in my opinion, it's not even the lack of the ability. I think it's just a lack of time. It's so much work that got to right. go into both aspects of it. Is unless you got a very small operation, you well, know, unless you already it's like this, you gotta be dedicated to two different things. Right. Just one. Right. And both of them take a lot of work. Both of them take a lot of work and time. Yep. Yep. And breeding uh, chickens just don't come in one year, two years. Right. I mean, any job can go get a trio of chickens and race and battle cross for one or two, three years, but then guess what? He's out of them chickens, so you gotta go back yep. again. Because mm-hmm. you don't have freedom and keep them. Yep. That's exact. No, that's that's exactly right. And I learned that when I got tired of buying chickens from the same people. I said, you know what? I need to buy some brood stock, man, because I'm tired of buying 17, 18, you know, chickens a year to take through the season. You know, and I kept doing it over and over and over. And I said, you know, I got to start buying. But, man, it ain't easy. Breeding is not easy either, especially when you ain't starting off with the right stuff. It makes it even worse. Because then you start breeding something that ain't going to never be nothing. Like, us again, with the short brood cock, I should have never even wasted my time with that. I should have said from the door, nah, it, it ain't it. Don't even waste your time with it. But I've always been fortunate to be able to, to obtain good chickens. My father helped me out leaps and bounds mm-hmm. on getting good chickens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I know so many people, you know, I just make a phone. It's just a phone call away if I need something. Right. I can get them. Right. That's exactly right. So it's just, so you ain't, uh, I've always been fortunate, very fortunate to have good chickens. Right. That's right. Well, you know what, too? I also think that's a result of who you are as a person, you yeah. know, because, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's other guys out there that know the same people that you know, but they can't pick up the phone and call those same people to get exactly what you can get. Right. And, Man, and I, I think. California, Texas, mm-hmm. Oklahoma. I mean, you're just mm-hmm. phone calls away. You know, if I need something, chicken, chicken wise, hey, we'll send it to you, buddy. That's right. That's right. And, and, and again, I think that's a point that we need to highlight too, because it's not just the fact that you know those people, it's the relationship that you have with those people, which in turns is who you are as a person. 
You know, everybody yeah. can't get something from that same person just because they know him. And I think that's a part a lot of times people overlook because they're like, oh, that guy gave me that chicken. Like, yeah. Oh, I've been knowing him longer than you. He never gave me nothing. I mean, and I'm pretty sure it's people that know the same people that you know that that same thing has happened to them. They might have yeah. gave you something. But they won't get that guy over there nothing. You know, and that's why I think also, too, everybody with chickens ain't cockers because cockers also, it's not just only about the chickens. It's who you are as an individual, as a person. Right. Are you honest? Are you humble? You know, are you trustworthy? You know what I mean? It's, it's other characteristics that come along with that name cocker because it's used so loosely these days. If you got 10 chickens in your yard, all of a sudden now you're a cocker. Right. You know, bad characteristics about yourself as a person, but you got 10 chickens in your yard, you're a cocker. I'm like, you're not really a cocker. Because there's some rules to the game that that you can't, you know, that that you can't really apply to yourself. So, um, right. But like I said, I think we covered, man. You know, this has been pretty good, man. Do you think it's something that we need to go over? I think we kind of covered everything. You know, covered that history, um, covered hey, your routine. Uh, go ahead, Sean. All these guys that's watching is going to ask him if any of knows what a tartar is. Okay, let's talk about it. Remember what I told you earlier, the tartars, the black chickens. Right. I just want to know if any of them, if they don't know, look them up. That's old bloodline. Tartars. 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 So what other bloodlines can they look up? Because they're going to probably post it down in a comment. <laughs> well, I mean, them North Britons is old ones. You know, a lot of people don't know what a North Briton is or a Loman. Uh, oh, you told me four. The Tartars, the North Britons, the Loma, and I think the Morgans, wasn't it? The Morgans, which Morgans is still around, you know, and pretty uh, a popular breed in certain areas. Right, that's why I know about those, because they still around, kind of. Right, but uh, the uh, Gleasons, all those chickens like that was around when I was a, was a young boy. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yep, but uh, the Wisconsin Shufflers, the Cottontail Shufflers. Uh, the war horse, the war horses now today has changed. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, what so tell it that that's that's a great point. And the reason why I say it's a great point, I want you to kind of go into a little detail about that because a guy in Puerto Rico, which is a mail carrier, got some war horse. This was back in the day, uh, but he got some war horse and he actually did very well with it for two years. And then after that, he couldn't really, uh, you know, he didn't do good good with it from that point on. But it goes back to what you said earlier. You might be able to do good one or two years, but it's hard to do good with them later on down the road. So right. tell us some little history about the war horse. The war horses was not a, a cold black rooster when they was back when I was younger. They was they wasn't. A, they was a brown red color, but they had a lot of white in their wings and tails, and they had yellow in their legs. Uh, wow. They, I mean, they've transformed into it. I see them show them every day, cold black. What? Yeah, well, that's the way I have seen them. Right. The black, what they're calling black devil war horses, you know, back then they wasn't that color. Uh, but they've changed. Chickens has changed so much. But, but hold on now. So what you think has changed that? Just people's put different bloodlines in them and got them coming cold black. Right. Right. Yep. So tell, tell me this before we get off now. Tell us about them Britons too. The North Britons are real dark wine red. Straight cone, white legged, black spurred. What? So who had those back in the day? Well, my uncles had had them. Uh, 
my neighbor had had them. My father had had them. Uh, just different people around, you know. Uh, there was an old man here in uh, where I lived at. He was a white hackle man. That's all he had was white hackles. Uh-huh. Uh, he had the Lowmans, North Britons, the Kearneys. So how about the Kearneys? Where them Kearneys come from? The man that was around here, uh, I believe he got them from uh, Floyd Gurley. And if That's anybody, where he got him from? Floyd Gurley. If anybody knows anybody think about Floyd Gurley, he was the white hackle man. He was a white hackle man, huh? Sure was. Now, was this back in the 80s? It was back in the 80s and 70s. Late 70s and 80s. Yeah, he'd had them for years. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you said some of that blood then drifted off. Now, a lot, of, a lot of these new guys don't know that old school stuff, huh? They don't know the old school stuff. They sure don't. That was the meat and potatoes of the sport back then, huh? <laughs> it was. It was. It was it, <laughs> It's changed so much different. I can tell the difference in uh, the rooster world has got so bit so much bigger than what it used to be. Right, right. I mean, there's so many people got chickens anymore. They're just everywhere. Right. Everywhere. You got that right, man. I mean, it is. You got that exactly right, man. It's so many cockers. You know, and it is something I had talked about before about people don't realize the economical impact that we pump into the economy. We spend. Yeah. A couple hundred million dollars a season buying brood stock. Just think about oh, that. Yeah. As a coach, we spend probably a billion dollars a year just in brood stock. Yeah, and plus the feed stores around here, Myrie, would probably shut down if the rooster fighters was gone. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's how it is in a lot of different places. That's the same thing happened in Puerto Rico. You know, that's why the governor had to step in and sign that sign that law because they're like, listen. Without these, this sport, we done. I mean, it's 27,000 people that get employed by this industry. You know, it's right. 84 cockpits on the island. You know, it's $69 million being pumped that's, that we taking off of tax revenue. That's not the money that the industry generates. Oh, yeah. That's just what they paying in taxes. And they're like, you know, taxes being used to fix roads for our schools. I mean, $69 million is a lot of money on a small island. You know what that's I mean? Right. So... But but it's like you say, I don't think a lot of times cockers look past the chickens and look at the amount of economical impact that we have. I mean, we're a powerhouse in the sport. As a sport of economical impact, we pump billions of dollars into our economy That's every right. year. Got to have wood, wire, roofing. Gasoline, Gasoline. driving tires, tractor stuff, grass seeds. I mean, come on, we... We pump billions of dollars into the economy. And, and I always tell people, we got another part to our argument besides cultural rights. We got economical power, too. We pump billions of dollars into this economy, just as much as hunters, horse racers, and everybody else. Oh, yeah. It sure is. Because, you know, hunt. a lot of cockers are, are, are do sport people. You know, a lot of cockers hunt. A lot of cockers do what fish. You know, a lot of cockers are, are do sport individuals. Oh yeah, I'm a big hunter too. I I gotta tell put that in there. I'm a big coon hunter, deer hunter. See? <laughs> See? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we we and, and, and we're good, good people. You know, that's some of the things I have learned a lot uh with the case in Puerto Rico is that they really highlighted the positive aspects about the sport and not just the heritage parts, but that's why I learned about the economical aspect of it. Really opened my eyes like, wow. If the island is generating that much money, that little teeny island, what is the United States generating? 
they got to be right. generating billions. If they generating millions, we got to be generating billions. Like you can't drive nowhere in my area without you seeing roosters somewhere. Yep. I mean, yep. And you can't go to any state in this country. I don't care where is that, and not have a rooster man in that in that state. Oh, you'll see them. Yeah, if you drive right. in interstate, you'll see them. Right, and some states might have more, but every single state got roosters in them. Period. Every, every single state's got them. Yep. Every single state's got them. So, you know, that's uh, that's that's what it is. But like I say, I have kind of, you know, um, just try to bring some other stuff to lights, man, you know, about setting the standards, especially for this new generation coming in. I think it's extremely important now that we really start to highlight the backbone of, of this culture. You know, it's not about the last three days, not saying we discount them or forget about them. But it's a lot of other stuff that has to happen before you get to that destiny. You know, and, and, and that's the part a lot of times that's kind of been discounted because it's not sexy. It's not fun. You know, it, don't, it doesn't look good. If you put clean water bowls or clean water cups on on Facebook, it's not going to get 200 likes. You know, but if I right. put a, you know, pretty roost up there, it's going to get 500 likes. But yep. I pretty, put up a clean water bowl up there. I'll be lucky if I get three people to reply. You know what I mean? So <laughs> oh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. You know what I'm saying? So it's not the sexy part. But what the guys will understand is those trophies are a result of those clean water bowls. <laughs> and that's what that's what the guys, that's the part that they're failing to understand. They need to connect the dots. Like those trophies are a result of that 362. Those right. trophies are not a result of just them last three. Because them last three don't mean anything if those first 362 didn't, wasn't done right. That's right. You know, so I've really been pushing that and mainly towards, like I say, with the newer generation coming in. They've been coming in a lot of times with a false perception or, or been buying this dream of coming in $1,500 trio, feed them for a year and boom, I have me a trophy and wonder why six, <laughs> seven, eight years later, they still ain't got a trophy. You know, they got every excuse in the book. Well, the reason why you don't have trophies because you missing the biggest picture. You weren't about how that rooster looked. Let me see what that water bowl look like. Let me see what that feed look like. Have you been worming them? It's 11, it's minus 11 degrees out there today. Have you made a reason not to go out there and bust them over water bowls? Or did you still go out there and do it? That's Those right. are key factors. You know what I mean? You can't skip today and water tomorrow. It's got to be every that's day. That's right. That's right. And you work every day. And that's the I thing about it is guys like you, you work a full-time job. You're very successful in the culture. And you work a full-time job job and there's no reason there's no excuses you still putting in that work i work uh sometimes i work 16 hours you know eight eight on about every day in the winter time 16 hours but anyway i feed about i keep about 150 cocks mm -hmm. and i got 150 other chickens you know hens and right. brood cocks right like right right so, so you can figure it up i keep around 2300 400 chickens Three or four hundred chickens and, and maintain a full time job and That's successful right. in the sport. Hey, listen, I do it by myself too, most all the time. See? So there's uh, no excuses. My oldest son, you know, he's married and gone home. He did he was a big part in helping me all the time. Oh, he was. Son, right. My youngest son, he's a senior this year, so he's got other things on his mind. <laughs> so, it's, uh, so it's a uh it's just me by myself all the time. Right. Right. Yep. And tell me something, Sean. You know, we had I talked about this. Uh, Terry Shaw made a comment about this last week. When you pull up to the house, what's the first thing you do? 
First thing I do every day, I come in the house and take my work boots off and put my muck boots on and hit the fields. And hit the fields. And that most time takes me about two hours, give or take, to do mm-hmm. to do everything. Right. You know, it, it takes me longer when baby season comes in, egg gathering season comes in. Right. Uh, it takes me a little, adds time onto me. Right, right, right. But you come out there, you got to spend, regardless if you work eight hours or 16 hours, you getting out in that yard. I'm getting out in that yard. I mean, if you come to my house, most time you'll find me on weekends, I'll be out in the yard. Right. All day. Right. They about got mm-hmm. a holler for me like I was a kid to come in and eat. Wow, because you out there in that yard. I'm out there in the yard. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. And, and, and again, man, I, I just like to bring guys like yourself on. So, again, we can talk about, like I said, the backbone or the culture. You know, it's not all about those trophies. And, and again, I'm not discounting them at all. But I have just seen from my travels people just putting too much energy in just one aspect of it and wondering why they're not successful. You know, right. and I keep telling them, listen, man, you can go out and buy all them chickens from all those famous people all you want. If you're not getting that other part right, it does not matter at all. No, it just doesn't matter. If them feathers ain't shining, them heads ain't red, guess yep. what? You ain't the th- last three don't make a difference, do they? They don't make a difference. I'm telling you, you can tell you go from one farm to the other when them feathers are glistening, mm-hmm. shiny, and go mm-hmm. one is dull, dingy feather, and you tell me the results down the road. See? You wanna see it, ain't you? First hand, I've seen it thousands of times. <laughs> so nobody got to convince you how important that 362 is huh <laughs> Don't, nothing i mean i can pull up and tell within 20 minutes on the yard mm-hmm. uh, you know like we've had a rainy season i can't stand muddy cages i mean it spent right. i spent a lot of money on it but i get hay and straw seems like constantly to keep them out of the mud right because i hate muddy, right. take, muddy chickens <clears throat> right that's you right. Know, you can go on people's farms and it's muddy and rainy. Guess what? Mm-hmm. Standing in the mud. Yep. That's exactly right. That's And it's kind of hard on your birds, too. But you go figure. How would you like to be standing out there in the mud? Right. Exactly. That's where that have, work comes in that. You got to have respect for them for them chickens just like anything else. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be out there in a the slop bucket like they're a pig. That's right. If you're going to treat them... I mean, you don't, you shouldn't expect nothing no better. <clears throat> yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, Sean, man, it's been a pleasure, man. And and, and don't forget to send me some of those pictures. Um, <laughs> I need to, I need your page. Ain't really got much chicken pictures on. Ain't really got no chicken pictures on there, but I want to see those ones. <laughs> I used to have them on there and I took them all off because people were screenshotting them and uh, trying to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drugs. Yeah, I I totally understand. I totally understand. I totally understand. Well, Sean, man, it's been a pleasure tonight to talk, man. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, you got a bunch of comments. I'm looking at it now. You got a bunch of comments uh, in in the comment section. So whenever you get a chance, if you can get in those comment sections, man, and and ask, you know, and get get to some of the questions whenever you get time. I know it's late. Uh, we've been on here an hour and a half already. Yeah, we've been on here a little over an hour and a half. I told you it wasn't gonna take no time. Hey. Before you, <laughs> all day. 
That's right. I told you it could be six hours, six hours, and we'll still be on. That's why, like, plug your phone in. Yeah. But listen, dude, it's been great, man. I greatly appreciate you coming on tonight, sharing your information. Um, I know we'll be talking and talking to each other uh, 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 soon. Um, again, when you get opportunity, if you can go in the comments and address any kind of questions, guys, y'all know how to reach, you know, to get in touch with him. Uh, he's tagged in this interview. So if you have any questions, you want, might want to, uh, DM him or PM him, um, about, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll be open to that. Um, but like I say, that's pretty much it, man. I always close out with these three phrases, which is always stay focused, stay positive, and we'll all stay blessed. And until next time, Sean, I'll see you then. Y'all guys have a good night. Have a good night, Jim. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. See you. All righty, guys. That was it for tonight. Um, we had a very, very good show, um, and I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, we talked to uh, Sean Cooper with State Line uh, Game Foul Farm, and uh, it was a great, great uh, um, interview. A lot of good information. Um, I hope that just trying to work through all these screens here. Um, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the interview. If y'all guys got any questions, remember to post them in the comments. A couple of things I want to talk about before we get off here. One, um, I will be uploading this video to YouTube. So Journey to the Pit 362 Universities on the YouTube channel. Make sure you go over and subscribe. Also, too, I'll be uploading the audio to this, to the podcast, the Journey to the Pit 362 podcast. So anybody who cannot watch it uh, through video because of data issues or Wi-Fi connection, anything like that, you can hear this uh, interview uh, on a podcast. You can go to Anchor uh, or Spotify. So there's a couple different podcasts. Um, networks out there that you can listen to journey to the pit 362 um, other than that guys it's been a great night um, I'm happy that we all joined each other I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did and uh, we have some other things coming up for next week so make sure you follow my page I can't accept email friend requests uh, but if you need to get in touch with me you can send me a message but I'll be ho hopefully next week uh, I'll be interviewing one of the guys from Peru to talk about their march. They had about 80,000 people from what I hear in the march today. Um, and the uh, Supreme Court of Peru will be making a ruling on the 25th uh, if they will ban cockfighting in, in Peru or if they will allow them to continue to per practice and preserve their cultural rights. So I'll be talking to somebody hopefully on the 25th, which is next week, um, after the court ruling on that. Um, also, too, uh, I'll be announcing what our next week guest guest is. Uh, so I'll be putting that up probably by tomorrow. I'll put that up and let you know who the next week guest is. Um, and that's pretty much it. So make sure if you're not uh, on my friends list, make sure you follow me. Journey to the Pit page. Like I said, I'll keep the updates on that. Anybody who's an admin of a uh, group, anybody who's an admin of a group, um, if you would like for this the interviews to be streamed within your group, reach out to me and uh, we'll talk about in, in, in the message messenger of how I can make that happen. But I will be able to uh, live stream the interviews, not only from my page, but I can live stream them in particular groups. So if you're an admin in a group and you would like for journey to the pit 362 to be live streamed in a group on Friday nights at nine o'clock, along with the rest of us, just let me know. We'll try to make that happen. 
happen. But again, it's not going to be in all groups, you know, groups that got a bunch of spar videos and all that kind of stuff. We don't need the negative attention. So believe me, I'll go through the group and kind of see what y'all guys are talking about. Um, but if you are interested in it, let me know. But pretty much that is it. We had a great night. Have a good night. Remember, stay focused, stay positive, stay blessed. And I'll see y'all guys next week.